Second Timothy chapter four, let's begin in verse six. Paul is writing and he says to Timothy, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. You know, that's a good way to think about death. It's a departure. That's what it is. It's a departure. You're leaving something, but listen, you don't depart from one place without arriving somewhere else. And these departures and these arrivals are taking place every day all over the world. Death is nothing to be afraid of. Woo! <laughs> Death is nothing to be afraid of. Most of you have already done it once. And it was glorious that time, wasn't it? Right? When you were crucified with Christ. Man, that's all the dying you're ever going to do. And it's nothing to be afraid of. Hey, I died once already. That thing was great. I'm not afraid to do it again. Paul called it my departure. He said, my departure, the time of my departure is at hand. Does he sound afraid? No. Notice what he says in verse seven. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have, read this last part with me kept the faith. Read it again. I've done what? I have fought the good fight. I have started the race. I finished the race. And what else did he say? I have kept the faith. It's never too early to start practicing your departure speech because the last words coming out of your mouth here are the first ones coming out of your mouth there. And he's saying, this is, this is my departure time. This is the winter season of my life. This assignment, this ministry, this life on earth, he said, is just about done. And here is how Paul summarized his life in this one statement. He said, I have fought the good fight. He said, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. Now, it sounds like a good thing to say, and it is. But what you and I need to understand is not everybody gets to say that. Actually, precious few, if they're honest with themselves and honest before God, will not get to say that. Because most people, like I said, if they're being honest will come to the end of their time and come to the end of their life here on this earth. And if they're honest, they'll say, I fought poorly. I quit early. And somewhere along the way, I lost my faith. Now that's the testimony. That's the summary of most people's life. And this is why I say to you, it's never too early to start working on your departure speech <laughs> because this is what you want to say. This is what you want to say as you wrap this thing up here. But I'm going to tell you what, this is what you want to be able to say with boldness, say with confidence, say with honesty, integrity, and surety in the face of God himself. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Heavenly Father, I have kept the faith. Who wants to say that? I'm ready. I want to be able to say that. I want to be able to say it to and about my life, but I want to say that with honesty in the presence of God. Heavenly Father, I fought the good fight. Heavenly Father, I finished the race that you gave me to run. And I didn't lose my faith. I kept it. I said, I kept it. I believe I'm looking at a room full this morning of keepers of the faith. Do I have any faith keepers in here today? That's you. That's me. I want to deal with some of these things I believe today. And as the Lord leads us this evening on into, into tomorrow, but Paul said it like this. I fought the good fight. You remember when he said it to Timothy the first time in first Timothy chapter six, he told him to fight the good fight of so faith is a fight. Some people would say, well, I'm just not really a fighter. That's just not really in my personality. That's just not really my temperament. Well, it needs to be. And if you weren't a fighter, you are one now. 
We are called to fight the good fight of faith. Let me touch on this a little bit. When Paul said the good fight, he said it in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He said it here in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He was talking about the, the way you fight. Now, I've heard people say the good fight of faith. It's a good fight because we win. And, you know, that sounds good. And maybe there's some truth to that. But there's another translation of the scripture. It's the Weiss translation of 1 Timothy chapter 6, where he says, be constantly engaged in the contest of faith. Constantly be constantly engaged. In other words, never disengage, never unhook from the faith fight. You and I ought to be in faith all the time. Faith when the sun comes up, faith when the sun goes down, faith all day, every day, constantly engaged in this fight of faith. Your faith ought to be on something all the time, all the time. But he said in that scripture, be constantly engaged in this contest of faith, which contest, check this out, is marked by its beauty of technique. So when Paul said fight the good fight of faith, what he was actually saying was Timothy fight and be good at it. This contest, which is marked by the beauty of its technique. Do you know there's technique to the faith fight. Did you realize that? Now I'll be 40 years old next month. Next month, 40 years old. And I have somehow lived the last 40 years without ever getting in a fight, like an actual physical fight. Now as a dude, I don't know if that's something to be proud of. I'm not quite sure, I can't figure that part out. I've been punched a couple of times, but I don't think it counts as a fight if you don't hit back. I spent several years in youth ministry. I was hosting a conference one time, and I think it was Monday morning of the conference, day one, out of the gate. There was a young kid who was having some difficulty, had some mental challenges, some physical challenges, and I noticed he was kind of, he was getting real restless in the service, and so I'm a good youth pastor, right? I'm going to go sit by him, love on him. I'm sitting there next to him. This, this kid, bless his heart, in our youth ministry, he, we kind of knew him for the constant Bluetooth headset. This thing never left his face. I don't know who he was talking to, but this thing was on all the time. And in the middle of the service, I'm sitting there, there's another guy preaching, and this young guy answers his phone really loud in his ear. And I, I put my hand on him, I said, buddy, we can't do that in service. And I don't know, something went off in him. He stood up, he wanted to fight me. And I said, come here. Come here. There was a curtain out the side. I said, follow me. I turned around this way. He screams out, I'm going to kick your, and you know, <laughs> in the middle of a service. And all of a sudden I feel this fist come across my back like this. And I thought, okay, you're 19, but you are not alone in there. Something is going on. <laughs> so I got hit, but I did not hit that teenager back. Bless God. I've been punched a couple of times, but if you don't hit back, I don't think it counts as a fight. Now, I have done what most of you have done too, and it's get, pick a fight with the man in the mirror. Have you done this before? As a young man, especially, you practice these things because you want to rehearse should the time ever come that it happens in real life. Maybe you girls don't know anything about this, but I guarantee you every dude in here knows exactly what I'm talking. You talking to me? You talking to me? I don't think I like your tone. This is all the guy in the mirror. So, you know, you standing there. What's up? Hmm? But you can practice all that you want. But do you remember what Paul said? Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. You want to know what the problem with beating the air is? You never make contact. And if you never make contact, you never have impact. This is not technique. You know that, right? This is bad form. This is not good technique. So when Paul said to Timothy, 
fight the good fight. He was saying, Timothy, fight and be good at it. I wonder if we could sort of step off and look into the spirit and see what most of our faith fights look like. I think it'd be a lot of this right here. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. This contest that you and I are supposed to be constantly engaged in, this fight of faith is supposed to be marked by the beauty of its technique. This is what he's talking to him about here. So when Paul said, I've come to the end of my life and I have fought the good fight, we know from other places in scripture, like we just talked about, he was not beating the air. This was not an impactless fight. Paul made a mark. Would you believe that? Would you agree with that? He said, I finished the race. I believe more than anything, this is what God is blessed with. Because anybody can start a race. Anybody can start anything. It's finishing that touches the heart of God. I've never run a marathon. I could start one. I could start one right now. But finishing one is a completely different story, isn't it? I think as the Lord leads, we'll get into some of this. But, but this last thing he said, I have kept the faith. So that tells me that there was a number of opportunities throughout his life to lose it, to lose the faith, to let his faith be stolen, to let himself be robbed of his faith. But he said, I've held on to it. I have kept it. Just kept a grip on it. Wouldn't let it go wouldn't let Satan take it from me, wouldn't let persecution take it from me, wouldn't let tribulation take it from me. And here he stands on the border of this world and the next, saying before men and before God Almighty, here's the faith you gave me. I've kept it. I held on to it. Is there anybody else interested in being able to say that right there? I kept my faith. Why don't you say it out loud by faith this morning? I am a keeper of the faith. Go to the book of Romans chapter 10. Thank you, Lord. Romans chapter 10. We'll look at some familiar scripture. I came to this meeting with a number of things in my heart, a number of different directions I thought about going. And I thought, well, I'll come to service uh, Thursday night, listen to Brother Andrew, and there'll be something that he'll say that'll just set me on my path. And I think he touched on nearly every single thing that was already in my heart. So thanks, Lord. We, it's not any clearer than it was, but I believe he's helping us. <laughs> You're in Romans chapter 10, but do you remember what the scripture said in the book of Galatians? You don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. Galatians chapter six. In verse 10, it says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. You familiar with this scripture? Let's do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Man, that's the house I grew up in. I've often affectionately referred to the house that I grew up in as the household of faith like the actual one. <laughs> Convinced for a long time that if you were to do a Greek study there of Galatians chapter six, Copeland would be in there somewhere. <laughs> and that's the house I grew up in. My grandparents, Kenneth and Gloria Copeland, um, many of you may be familiar with them, been preaching Jesus all over the world for more than 50 years. Matter of fact, they, they have preached the uncompromised word of faith from the top of the world to the bottom all the way around. I mean, they have preached in churches. They've preached in convention centers every single year. My grandfather stands on this platform right here in this room. November, it's coming up again. And they have just preached the word and preached Jesus. They've preached it when it wasn't popular. They preached it to rooms full of people. They preached it to three or four people. I mean, they have just been preaching this word of faith. But I want to say something as a member of that house. It wasn't just faith from the platform. Man, it was faith in the living room. It was faith in the kitchen. It was faith. We were the household of faith. Now, when people hear that term, household of faith, 
There are many and probably most people who would think of faith as, you know, you have beliefs, I have beliefs, we're just people of faith. There are those who would say the household of faith, the, the, the global body of Christ. And of course, there's certain truth to that. But man, when I hear this, when I hear about the household of faith, it hits my heart and my head in a completely different way. Because I have personal firsthand experience with what it's like to grow up in the household of faith, man. It's faith every day. It's faith all day, every day. And as a kid... Growing up in that, even though I went to a Christian school, uh, kindergarten to graduation, I was surrounded by other Christian kids. I figured out pretty early on, we're different. As people of faith, as people of the household of faith, there's a difference. Now, I will say this, my kindergarten application day, my mom walked us, walked me in as a six-year-old into this little Christian school weeks before the school year started to fill out the application to go to this little school and, uh, you, you know, to meet with the headmaster. We walk in, the headmaster welcomes us into his office. We sit there. My mom fills out the application, you know, all the pertinent information, name, parents' names, address. There was a place there for grandparents' names. So of course she put Kenneth Gloria Copeland. She gives the application back to the headmaster. He's reading it all, all uh, reading over all of it. He looks up at her Big tears begin to fill his eyes. The man reaches into his shirt pocket, pulls out a Kenneth Copeland tape and says, this changed my life. And even as a five-year-old, I'm sitting there thinking, this is going to be all right. This is going to work. And that's the school I went to, kindergarten all the way through graduating high school. And I was surrounded by other of uh, Christian families, Christian kids. There was something like 80 different churches all represented in that school. And of course you got a bunch of different denominations, but I figured out real quick, like real quick, that we were different than everybody else. As people who lived and walked by faith, as keepers of the faith, Somewhere around junior high, I think something must have happened. A friend of mine maybe wasn't at school for a couple of days. He comes back. We're like, hey, man, where were you? You good? He's like, oh, yeah, I was, was kind of sick, but it was fine. You know, I just laid at home, just laid around, watched TV, whatever. It's kind of nice. And my thought was, that's not what happens at my house. <laughs> if you're going to come in and say, mommy, I don't feel good. It's not about to be, oh, baby, bless his heart. Come here, come here. What can I get you? You just get comfortable right there. You want to watch a little TV? I was thinking, that's not what happens. If you're going to come into my parents' room and say, I don't feel good. Lights on, covers off. Jeremy, get your Bible. Jeremy, get your tapes. Come on, make this confession after me, boy. Say it out loud. By the stripes of Jesus, I am. What are you sitting down for? Get up. Follow me. Say, by the stripes of Jesus, I am healed. By the stripes of Jesus. Say it like you mean it, boy. Christ has redeemed me from the curse of the law. Christ has redeemed me from the curse of the law. I guess I had a little puppet voice when I was a child. But that's the house I grew up in. There was a fight of faith. And when we needed something, if I needed anything, hey, dad, hey, mom, I need this. I got to have this. And the, the response all the time was, what's the word say? What's the word say? What's the word say, Jeremy? What's the word say? What's the word say, Jeremy? What's the word say? And finally, as a kid, you're like, just tell me what the word says. If you'll tell me what the word says, then I'll know what the word says. And I can tell you what the word says. I remember when my sister was in college, she was going to school at Oral Roberts University. My parents asked me to drive her back to school one time. So she's whatever, 19, 20 years old. I'm seven years older than she is. So I'm probably pushing what, 27, 28 at that time. And we're driving back to school and she's, she's talking to me and she's, there's some frustration in her voice. 
She's like, I'm talking to mom about this stuff. And I talk to her and I, I'm trying to tell her what I'm going through and tell her what I'm dealing with. And all she ever says is, what scripture are you standing on? What scripture are you standing on? What scripture are you standing on? It gets real quiet in the car. I'm like, well, what scripture are you standing on? I don't know what to say. I'm the same parents. That's all I ever heard you. But I'm going to tell you this morning, and this is from the bottom of my heart, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful. And now what's funny is my wife, Sarah, and I, we have two little ones. Justice, he's nine. Jesse, his little sister, she's six. And we're raising these two in the household of faith. And it's so, and it's so, it's so cool to hear it coming back at you, you know? Several years ago, we put Justice in the back of the car. Sarah and I were driving and we were headed to some appointment. I think we were running late. We called in some food, picked it up at a restaurant. I brought it back to the car, handed Justice his. We take off, we're eating, and out of the back seat, without us saying anything, we just hear our little Justice, who was probably five, six at the time, we just hear from the back seat, grilled cheese, you cool down now in Jesus' name. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that's not normal. That's not normal. But it's exactly what I want. Because normal is confused, normal is discouraged, normal is sick and broke and depressed and dying. I don't want normal. And I'm gonna tell you, you, you might be household of faith if your five-year-old gives the faith command to a grilled cheese sandwich. You know there's something different about your house. But that's the house I grew up in. That's the house that Sarah and I are leading right now. And we know, we know without a doubt that's the assignment on our lives is to teach people how to raise a family in the house of faith. Because it's different. We talk a little different in this house. Have you noticed that before? We say things that the rest of the family doesn't say. And I want to say the rest of the family, I'm talking about that, that global body of Christ. But you know, you got family within family, don't you? And, and even in your family, you've got that side of the family. <laughs> that, oh, it slipped our mind. Sorry, we forgot to tell you to come Everybody's got that side of it. Well, sometimes as house of faith, I feel like we're that side of the family, but that's all right. That's all right. But I'm going to tell you something. You're not alone. I said, you're not alone. We're a big group. One time I was on the phone in, that, in the first little house that Sarah and I lived in together after we were married and uh, I had called the internet company. Something was wrong with the Wi-Fi in the house. So I called to get it worked out. The technician answers the phone. Hello, Mr. Pearsons. How are you? I said, I'm, I'm doing good. How are you today? And he said, oh, I'm living in the victory. This is the Wi-Fi repairman on the phone. <laughs> living in the victory. I said, living in the victory? You sound like a faith man. He said, absolutely. Yeah, I'm a faith man. And we got to talking a little bit and it doesn't take me long to get around to Kenneth Copeland is my papa. <laughs> He said, wait, what? Kenneth, what? Oh, I got your calendar on my wall. It's right in front of me. My grandparents had sent out a ministry calendar to all the partners of the ministry all over the world. And it had pictures of the family and the, and the ministry. And he's like, you're right here in front of me. I know that sounds like a silly thing, but the Lord really used that. That helped me so much to realize you and I are a big group of people. We are a Holy Ghost gang, amen? And we're not alone. We're in this household, this family of faith. And that's what the word household means. It means family. And I am astonished, I'm amazed that as much focus has been given to living by faith and walking by faith and the principles of faith that, is, that we've heard, especially over the last 50, 100 years, 150 years, I am I'm astonished that a denomination has not been made out of it because that's what we as 
humans like to do with things. We, we take things that we like, things that we love, and then it's like, well, we need to put an infrastructure and we need to put a head and a secretary and a treasurer and a... And I'm so thankful that a denomination has never been made out of this message because it was never called to be a denomination. It was called to be a family. We are the family of faith. We are the household of faith. And I'm determined that this life giving, life-saving, life-changing word of faith is not going out with the generations before me. I am a keeper of this faith. Are you? Say it again. I'm a keeper of the faith. But one of the things that I want to touch on, wow, is just how simple it is. With as much teaching and as much preaching as we've heard on faith, it's easy for it to get complicated. It's easy for us to start complicating things. But I want to bring you back today to the simplicity of faith. In Romans chapter 10, tempted to just read this whole thing. It's so good. But if you will begin in verse 8, it says, What does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. So the word of God is supposed to be in two places in your life. Where are they? Number one, your mouth and in your heart. He said, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach. What is the word of faith? Well, here it is. Verse nine. If you confess with your, say it out loud, mouth, the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That is the word of faith. That's what Paul said. This is the word of faith that we preach, that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. Now, like brother Andrew was talking about last night, that moment of salvation that's when we're born again, and that's, that's when the greatest miracle that has ever taken place takes place even still today, greater than miracles of, of the physical body being healed, greater than financial miracles. This is the greatest, most demonstrative, biggest, loudest miracle that's ever taken place in the life of any person ever was when they made Jesus the Lord of their life and they woke up from the dead. They were dead on the inside and now they're alive. That miracle is still taking place. It took place at this altar last night. It's taken place in the hearts and the lives of millions of people all over the world every single day. Don't you tell me God doesn't do miracles. That miracle's happening everywhere, every day. Now, how is that miracle happening? Somebody believes something in their heart and then they said something with their mouth. Now, I know that that's what happens when we're born again, but here's what you and I need to understand. And this is where faith gets so simple. Now, don't let this be too simple that you just say, well, that's, you know, I've heard that before. Now, listen to this. The truth that you're born again by is the same truth that you live by. This, this moment of salvation, this is not a one and done kind of thing. This believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth, that's when it started. But guess what? That same truth that saved you, that you were born again by, is the truth that now you live by. You believe in your heart and you say with your mouth. You believe in your heart and you say with your mouth. And what is the result of believing and speaking? Salvation. Salvation. And we know that this salvation, like I said, it's just not one and done. You and I are supposed to be living in and experiencing salvation in every area of our lives, every single day of our lives. How do you experience salvation in your family? How do you experience the salvation of your marriage? How do you experience the salvation and the restoration of your family, your finances, or any area of your life? You believe it in your heart and you say it with your mouth. That's the word of faith. Isn't that simple? Believe in your heart and say with your mouth. Look at verse nine again. You confess 
We'll back up verse eight one more time. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach that if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved for with the heart. One believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Hold your place here in Romans chapter 10 and turn back to the book of Matthew quickly with me. Matthew chapter 15. I want you to notice something Jesus said. Don't forget, we're talking about the simplicity of faith. You believe it and you speak it. Thank you, Lord. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus was speaking to some of the religious leaders. And in verse seven, he uh, got some of that same boldness brother Andrew had last night. And he said, hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy about you saying, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart, where is it? It's far from me. Notice he said they're doing something with their mouth and there's something going on in the heart, the mouth and the heart, the mouth and the heart. The psalmist said it in Psalm 19, he said, may the words of my mouth and, and, and what? The meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. Jesus, in talking to these hypocrites, he said, you draw near with your mouth, you honor with your lips, but their heart is far from me. Folks, if we could ever get our hearts and our mouths in the same place, there would be saving power available to us. You know, it's real easy to measure how much of a hypocrite you are. All you have to do is measure the distance between your heart and your mouth. However much distance there is, that's how big a hypocrite you are. However much distance there is between my heart and my mouth. And of course, you know, I'm not talking about this physical blood pump in my chest, but you know, I'm talking about the, the core of you, the heart of you. However much distance there is between what's going on in the heart and what's coming out of the mouth. That's how much hypocrisy is in our lives. And Jesus went on to say, they worship me in vain. You know what the word vain means? Powerless means it's producing nothing. Now our worship is designed to produce something. When we come before the Lord and not just in singing songs and not just in a service like this, but your life of worship, your life of acknowledging his existence, acknowledging his presence, you acknowledge him in all your ways. And the result of that is what? He directs your path. And you come before him every single day. Father, I worship you. I glorify you. I magnify you. I honor you, Jesus. Yours is the name above every name. You, oh heavenly father, yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. What are we doing right now? Worshiping. This is a good way to start the prayer. This is the good, a good way to start the day. Just in worship. And you are acknowledging not only the existence of God, but you are acknowledging the love of God, his desire to be real and to be real in your life and what you worship, you give place to. What you acknowledge, you give access to. This is how you give God access to your life. And this worship is supposed to produce something. But Jesus said, these people whose mouth is way up here close to God, but whose heart, give me a second, uh, is way somewhere else. And he said, because of all this distance between the heart and the mouth, it's producing nothing. People who have heard the word of faith, got excited when they heard the word of faith. It ministered life to them when they heard it. You look up and five, 10, 15 years later, where are they? Did they keep the faith or did they let something rob them of it along the way? 
Sure. It's happened. But they get frustrated. This is what I believe one of the big reasons people who have heard this word, got excited about this word, but are nowhere to be found now, they get frustrated. You know what frustration is? It's the, dis- it's the distance between expectation and what actually happens. And that space between tries to breed frustration. And there's a lot of people frustrated saying, well, I tried that faith stuff. I tried talking to it. I tried confessing and it didn't do anything for me. Well, if we're honest about it, we have to realize and recognize that the lack of power is due to the distance between the heart and the mouth. Thank you, Lord. I think we ought to spend some time getting these two things in the same place. Because the moment your heart and your mouth end up in the same place, there's power available to you. There's power. Go back to the book of Romans. In chapter 10, we were looking just back up a few verses. Into verse four, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness, which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks. So when it comes to the law, there's something to do. When it comes to the righteousness of faith, there's something to say. He says the righteousness of faith does what? Faith does what? Faith does what? Faith speaks. The righteousness of faith speaks in this way. There's a way that faith speaks. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul wrote and said it like this. We, having the same spirit of faith, believe, therefore we speak. Faith speaks. This is how faith is demonstrated. Faith speaks. And of course, there's corresponding action that goes along with this faith. But I'm telling you, when there's something in your heart and it comes out of your mouth and your lips and your your heart end up in the same place, there is power available to you. The righteousness of faith does what? Speaks. So the question then becomes, okay, well, what does faith say? If faith speaks, then I want to know what it says. And again, we're talking about the simplicity of this. This is so simple. It's, it's been made complex. It's been made hard, but it is so simple. Your life and mine is designed by God to be lived and to be caught up in this ongoing conversation between grace and faith. Let me say it to you again. Your life is to be lived in this ongoing conversation between grace and faith. Grace is God speaking to you. Faith is you speaking to him. Now that's so simple, isn't it? Grace, okay. Grace (laughs) is God speaking to you. Faith is you speaking to him. Now you go back through the scripture, especially the the gospel accounts and the life and the ministry of Jesus, and you look at how many people got their lives completely and radically changed living in that conversation right there. Jesus, the grace of God, speaking to these people and these people responding in faith. How many times did he say to them, your faith has made you whole? Your faith be it unto you according to your faith as you have believed. All things are possible to him who believes. What's he saying? Your response of faith to his grace is what produced this miracle in you. Grace is him speaking. Faith is you speaking. Now, here's the thing. If two people are going to have a conversation and it's going to get anywhere, if they're going to get anything accomplished, anything done at all, then at some point, they are going to have to start speaking the same language. Am I right? Have you ever tried to have a meaningful conversation with somebody that does not speak your language? It's difficult, isn't it? It's very difficult. 
you're going to have to start speaking the same language. Now, I know grace is God. I've said grace is God speaking to you. But what you need to understand is that faith originated in him and faith is it's the language he speaks. It's the language he understands. As a matter of fact, I would say it like this. Faith is the only language he speaks. It's the only language he understands. And there are many people trying to have conversation with God speaking some other language. Now, we're from originally from the Fort Worth, Texas area. Just in the last couple of months, Sarah and I and our ministry, our family, our staff, we've moved up to a little town called Woodland Park, Colorado. I don't know if you've heard of it. You're familiar with it. <laughs> it's a beautiful place. I encourage you to visit. But being from Fort Worth, Texas, being from the South, then um, some of you may know this. You may experience some of the same thing. We've got a, a large Hispanic community, Spanish-speaking community. So a lot of our television stations uh, are Spanish-speaking stations. As a matter of fact, you could go and just sit down and flip through and there'd be one right after another. Here's the problem. I don't speak Spanish. I don't know what they're saying. I don't know what they're saying. Let me tell you what doesn't help. Turning it up. Am I right? Now, I don't know if this same thing applies to other languages, but English speaking people, I don't know if we're just slow or what, but I've seen it over and over. They think that if you don't speak English, then what will help you understand me is speaking English louder. <laughs> Excuse me, can you tell me how to get to the, uh, the, the restroom here? Oh, no habla inglés. Can you tell me It doesn't help to turn it up, right? Well, folks, listen, God no habla fear. God no habla worry. He no habla doubt. He no habla unbelief. And what doesn't help is speaking it louder. And there are so many people frustrated in their faith, crying out, crying. God, oh God, oh God, oh God, why? God, oh God, why? God, oh God, please, oh please, oh please. And your begging's done nothing for 10 years. I know what'll help. Let's beg louder. It's not producing anything. I know when Sarah and I uh, had Justice, our firstborn, man, that little guy showed up and he turned everything inside out and upside down in all the best imaginable ways. I mean, we're, as first-time parents, we're going through all the same stuff every first-time parent goes through. But the interesting thing about Justice that I noticed right when he was born, and for several months, he spoke no English. <laughs> like none. Do you know how many times, especially after he was first born, I wished to God he spoke a little English? especially like 3.30 in the morning. And it's like, buddy, just tell me what you want. If you will just say it, I'll get it, I'll do it. If we can all go back to bed, just tell me what you want. And what's he saying? No English. At one point I thought, I cannot wait till this kid starts talking. I just want to know where the remote is. What did you do with the remote? Just tell me what you did with it. And then one day out of the clear blue nowhere, we're sitting in the kitchen, Sarah's feeding justice. And you know what my son said? Dad, dad. Dad, dad, my son, do you hear me? My son said, dad, dad, change my life forever. And I looked at him and I looked at her and I looked back at him. And you know what I said? Say it again. Say it. I want to hear it again. Dad, 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 dad. And I did not care that everything in the room was dad, dad, that I was dad, that she was dad, that the yogurt cup was dad, dad. I didn't care. My son said dad, dad. And I got so thrilled with it. 
And it seemed like just a day or two later, Sarah and I were had, had, heading out of the neighborhood around, a walk, uh, around the neighborhood, going on a walk, had justice in the stroller, we're pushing him along. And the Spirit of God spoke up on the inside of me. I don't mean out loud, we were here with these ears, but where he'll speak to anybody. And he said, do you want to know why it pleases you so much to hear your son say, Dada? I said, why, Lord? He said, because your son is learning to speak your language. And as soon as he said, it pleases you, my heart ran to Hebrews eleven six. Without faith. It is difficult, very hard, impossible. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith is the only appropriate response to grace. And it's a conversation. God speaking to you. Grace has said something. How many believe that? Grace has spoken. What did grace say? I love you. That's grace. Grace has spoken to you. The same thing that grace has said to every man, woman, and child since the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Grace has spoken and said, I love you. Grace has spoken and said, I have saved you. Grace has spoken and said, I have made you clean. Grace has spoken and said, I have healed you. Grace has spoken and said, I have prospered you. Grace has spoken and said, I have restored you. Now, grace, listen to me. I'm going to say something and it might make you mad, but listen. Grace has said those things to every single person. So why aren't all of them living in it? No response. Because until you respond to that grace in faith, then you don't get to access any of it. I said, you don't get to access any of it. Faith is the response to grace. Faith is how you respond. And it's not just the response. It's the only appropriate response. Grace has said, I love you. Faith says, I don't feel loved. Is that a faith response? No. Grace has said, I have healed you already. It's done. I've done it. Faith says, I don't feel healed. Not in my house, you don't. I made the mistake one time, about sixth grade. I asked my mom and dad, based on something I'd heard the other Christian kids at school say, I had a friend whose mom was sick and been given a diagnosis. And she had either just passed away or it was shortly before she did. And all the kids at school were talking about why God did that. And so I came home and asked and said, well, why did God do that? Friends, you would have thought I slapped and cussed my mother. Might as well have, because I found out that day, we don't talk like that. We don't believe that. And I found out what every kid finds out when he hears their parents say, we. You remember being a kid coming home and saying something you heard at school and all of a sudden that deathly silence told you, you shouldn't have said that. <laughs> and your mom or your dad wheeled around in slow motion and said, what did you say? You will. Everybody at school says it. And what, what does a good mom or a good dad say? I don't care if everybody says that. Help me out. What's the next word? We don't talk like that. And that kid finds out in that moment who we are. You find out what makes you different than everybody else. Hey, dad, can I go to such and such a place? No. Why not? I said. Now, usually mothers arrive at, because I said so, much quicker than dads do. Usually dad will go on with it for a little bit. Well, ask your mother. But mothers are quick with the, because I said so. Why can't we? Why can't we? Why can't we? Because we don't go there. Because we don't do that. Because we don't talk like that. And every kid has experienced that growing up in that house. You find out in that moment who you are and who you are not. 
and there is a line drawn and you have just brought definition to your own life and to your own family. This is who we are. Whether you as a kid like it or not, this is who we are. And can you just hear your heavenly father saying that? I don't feel healed. I don't feel loved. I don't see the provision. I don't see the difference. I want you to hear your heavenly father look back at you and say, I don't care. Everybody else gets to walk by sight. What's your heavenly father saying to you this morning? I don't care if everybody out there is walking by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. The big part of this, the first part of this is recognizing that in this house, we talk different. We talk differently than everybody else does. When I came home and said, why did God make her sick? Why did God take her life? I found out real quick. That's not what we believe about him. In this house, we call him good. In this house, we call him faithful. In this house, we say he's the giver of life, not the taker of it. In this house, we say that he came to give life and that we'd have it and have it more abundantly. I found out in a hurry that morning who we are. Amen? Faith is simple, ladies and gentlemen. It starts with what's in your heart coming out of your mouth. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Legacy TV podcast. We hope you enjoyed this. And if you'd like to hear more of Jeremy and Sarah, subscribe to this podcast and download the Legacy Studios app. From there, you'll have access to the Legacy Television broadcast, the Legacy Letter magazine, and so much more. You can also visit pearsonsministries.com to contact us directly and find out how you can get involved with everything that's happening here at Legacy Studios. Be blessed today. We love you. Remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.